Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Welcome to another edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture, from the piney woods of East Texas out to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. The wild temperature swings we've had lately in the Texas High Plains are a good reason for area ranchers to pay extra attention to the health of their cattle. I'm James Hunt and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. There is a way to encourage cows to have their calves during the day. I'm Jessica Dolmel and I have details coming up on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The application window is short for Texas farmers and ranchers to apply for disaster assistance through the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Jessica Domel reports. USDA offers several programs to help farmers and ranchers mitigate losses from events like last week's winter storm. The Livestock Indemnity Program and the Emergency Assistance for Livestock, Honeybee, and Farm-Raised Fish programs reimburse producers for a portion of the value of animals that died as a result of the winter storm. But ranchers must file a notice of loss within 30 days in order to be eligible. Ranchers who lost grazing lands or feed have 30 days to apply for LIP. Beekeepers have 15 days to apply for ELAP. Livestock producers are encouraged to have time and date stamped video or photos of their losses and other documentation, like purchase or production records, vaccination reports, or bank or loan documents. To apply, contact your local USDA service center. Call ahead as an appointment may be required. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The nation's cow herd is shrinking, according to last month's U.S. Cattle Inventory Report. But here in Texas, our cow herd is growing. Texas A&M livestock market economist David Anderson. We went up. Uh, we sure did. In fact, uh, if you look at Texas and Oklahoma combined, we were up 115,000 head. Oklahoma was up another 80,000 beef cows. So, you know, if we start looking at the change in cows, we really escalated. It was the rest of the country on balance that brought that total beef cow number down. The total inventory of cattle and calves here in Texas totaled 13.1 million head on January 1st of this year. That's up 2% from last year's inventory number. The wild temperature swings we've had in Texas lately give ranchers every reason to pay extra attention to the health of their cattle. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. Here in the Texas High Plains, we suffered through those frigid sub-zero temperatures last week, only to find ourselves climbing into the mid to high 70s earlier this week. Temperature swings that might create issues out on the ranch. Those types of changes are very stressful to cattle, arguably more so than just an extreme in one direction or the other direction. That's Texas A&M AgriLife beef cattle specialist Jason Smith. With what cattle are going through weather-wise right now, 
Dr. Smith says respiratory illnesses are a potential concern, and as livestock operators watch over their herds, they need to keep in mind cattle's capacity to hide their illness. Because these are prey animals and because they're so tough, if cattle are showing you any outward sign that they are sick, they're really sick. There are an abundance of options for responding to respiratory ailments, but Dr. Smith says work with your veterinarian. I am not going to make those specific recommendations, but that's where that operations veterinarian should have a more intimate understanding of that specific production scenario, that producer's operation, and be able to make that most informed recommendation on how they should go about treating that animal. And on another front, Dr. Smith also has advice for anyone with cattle out on wheat. Now that we've gotten a little more moisture and and some of those pastures start to green up a little bit, particularly those that maybe had had fairly heavy nitrogen fertilization, need to have in the back of our minds that there might be an increase in frothy bloat incidents moving forward. Similarly, might need to be on the lookout for an increase in grass tetany. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The majority of cows go into labor at night, but there may be something you can do to encourage a daytime birth. Jessica Domel has more. Spring calving season is underway across Texas. And if it seems like a majority of your cows are calving at night, you're not wrong. Dr. Ron Gill, Livestock Specialist and Associate Department Head for the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service, explains. There is a propensity to have about 60 to 65 percent of the calves at night. There is a little technique you can use to kind of shift that to more daytime calving. Late in the evening, if you'll feed the cows a pound or two of cubes, 20 percent range cubes or some kind of feed, for some reason it will shift the hormonal patterns enough that those cows will calve at a higher percentage in the daytime. Research done at Kansas State University over a five-year period reveals more than 85% of calves were born between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. when cows are fed at dusk. The cows in the study were fed forged sorghum hay daily between 4 and 6 p.m. Another study conducted in Iowa had similar results. While waiting on a cow to calve, Gill says it is important not to rush that process. They have to go through the dilation process and you can tear the cervix if you pull too soon or the vulva. So you do have to give them time to work that calf up. And, you know, the feet start the dilation, the nose, and then the crown of the head is kind of what finishes the dilation of the cervix and also the vulva. And so you don't want to rush that. But about two hours, uh, particularly on heifers, when you see the placental membrane break, what we call the water break, in about two hours, that calf ought to be out of there. And so if, if she's not making progress, and that's the other thing, if you, you know, when you find them, kind of make a note of where the feet is, where the nose is. And as long as they're making progress, I don't know that I'd intervene. But when you see that progress stop and, they're, and they are really trying and they're laying down and straining and having contractions and nothing's happening, then I'd go ahead and, and pull it. If you wait too long on those calves, sometimes the heifers wore out. Calf may have oxygen supply cut off to the umbilical cord and actually die in utero. So waiting too long is probably worse than rushing it. But like I said, you just have to watch it and see how things are progressing. But after about two hours, the calf should be out. That was Dr. Ron Gill from Texas A&M University and AgriLife Extension. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. 
This is National FFA Week in Texas. State FFA President Blake Mills joins us to talk more about it. Blake, tell me what's going on in Texas this week to celebrate National FFA Week. Um, National FFA Week, uh, it's an exciting week for all FFA members across the state, let me tell you. Um, There is a lot of different activities that Texas FFA Association is putting out there on the different various social media platforms. Um, For chapter... For members and chapters um, to kind of get involved in a lot of different activities, kind of spread awareness for FFA and what it stands for um, in the kind of like their communities. Um, But specifically on February 24th of 2021 is um, My Texas FFA Day. What that looks like is that um, it is a platform and a day used to spread the stories of past and present Texas FFA members to advocate kind of for the future of FFA, where we've been, and kind of celebrate the past and present victories and strides we've made within the organization, but continue to kind of advocate and encourage people to get involved in how they can support agriculture education and recruit FFA members for the future. Well, what exactly is the message this week, Blake? What are you trying to tell about agricultural education and the FFA? Um, I would say that Texas FFA is just continuing to kind of promote themselves Um, As a youth organization, a leadership-based student-led that is focused on students in agriculture education, how we continue to kind of strengthen the industry of agriculture for farmers and ranchers, um, kind of build our communities and how we can grow personally as individuals. Um, And we're just continuing to um, allow students to um, have the platform to exert and develop leadership skills that can allow them to utilize in the future, um, to say the least. Well, Blake, give us a status update on FFA in Texas. Is it continuing to grow? Texas FFA has continuously grown since 2001, um, and thankfully, um, we continue to do so. Um, there are we each year we have chapters all across the state that are being chartered, and active participation continues throughout each chapter in the state of Texas. Um, with that said, though, um, with considering the circumstances of last year at the end of the year with COVID-19 and a lot of different things, um, Texas FFA still seems to be pretty strong um, with a lot of different activities. Um, Texas FFA members on now on the upside of things are being able to participate um, in potentially career development events this spring, which is exciting because the leadership development events were remotely virtual. Um, so that's exciting. A lot more opportunities for Texas FFA members. But um, our, our uh, membership, to be exact, looks around about 139,000 members and about um, 200,000 students involved in agriculture education. And each year, um, like I said, there's a lot of different opportunities that um, Texas FFA is, is kind of um, embarking on each year. Um, and so there's a lot of things that uh, the students can get involved in. State FFA President Blake Mills. Last week's winter storm took a heavy toll on the exotic industry in Texas. I'm Jessica Dolmel and I have details coming up on Texas Ag Today. And one unfortunate aspect of the cattle business is that you will lose calves from time to time. But when that happens, it's important to know why. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. This is National FFA Week, and FFA students across the country are celebrating. I'm the National FFA Central Region Vice President, Paxton Dahmer from the state of Missouri. 
Many special and safe activities are happening in FFA communities this week, but all year long, FFA members experience education, leadership, service, and personal and professional development as FFA feeds our intellectual growth and curiosity. Celebrate with us and share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA week. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Well, if you've been in the cattle business for any amount of time, you know it's only natural that you're going to lose some calves from time to time. However, it's very important that when that does happen, you figure out why. What's the reason behind it so that you can prevent it from happening in the future? Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more. An abortion every now and then in a large cattle herd is to be expected and does not require an extensive workup. However, if you're seeing three or more abortions in the herd, your veterinarian should be consulted. It is important for the producer to realize the diagnostic success rate for a single abortion is relatively low at only about 25%. However, that does not mean you should not do anything with an aborted fetus because you do not know if this could be the first of many. Dr. Cameron Knight is a pathologist at the University of Canada and he indicates at dairyherd.com that it is a good idea to weigh, measure, and photograph every aborted fetus, even if you don't send tissues to the lab. Measure the fetus from the dome of the head, just behind the eyes, to the junction of the sacrum and tail head to determine crown rump length. The crown rump length can be used to determine the age of the fetus, as this can be important as far as diagnosing the cause of the abortion. The condition of the fetus should also be noted to determine if the fetus died acutely and was aborted or several days have passed, as this can have an effect on testing performed at the lab. Lastly, if you are going to send fetus to a lab, collect it and the fetal membranes in a clean plastic bag, refrigerate it, and submit it to your veterinarian. Certainly, you will want to wear gloves when handling the fetus and fetal membranes. If the fetus is large, the sooner you get the fetus to the vet, the better, because your vet will need to perform a necropsy exam on the fetus. Just remember to send the placenta also, as sometimes the placenta provides more information toward the diagnosis than the fetus itself. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Last week's winter storm took a heavy toll on the exotic industry in Texas. Jessica Domel takes a look in today's wildlife report. Winter storm Uri dealt a devastating blow to the exotic wildlife industry in Texas last week. Charlie Seal, executive director of the Exotic Wildlife Association, estimates that razors lost about $2 million in animals, primarily Axis deer and black buck antelope. They're not built for it. They don't have the body fat that some of your other animals like whitetail and fallow and some of those. Even the super exotics like your kudus, sable, I have heard reports of some losses on those. I know that we've lost at least a couple of giraffes that I'm aware of and some roan antelope, which are really high dollar antelope. This weather did not discriminate. Whitetail and fallow deer have about 30% body fat. Axis deer and black buck antelope only have about 10%. They also do not have hollow hair on their hide like white-tailed deer that allows them to repel water. So when the cold, wet weather set in, they were harder hit. Seal says it is a difficult situation. The exotic razors did everything they could to prepare for the winter storm, worked around the clock in the ice and the snow, and they still lost animals. We love these animals or we wouldn't be in this business. And we're going to certainly do everything short of putting them in the house. And I know a couple of guys that had bottle babies that they brought in, bottle baby axes, 
that they actually brought in and, and kept them inside throughout this whole ordeal. We've taken every precaution we, we could humanly possible. That was Charlie Seal from the Exotic Wildlife Association. He said areas around Kerr, Bandera, and Real County appear to be the hardest hit. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Well, the market giveth and the market taketh away. That was definitely the case in the cotton market on Thursday. We saw some of the biggest losses that we've seen in recent memory. We'll take a closer look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. This week is National FFA Week, February 20th through the 27th, and FFA students across the country are celebrating and sharing the FFA story. I'm Miriam Hoffman, National FFA Eastern Region Vice President from Illinois. National FFA Week is a time to share what FFA is and the impact it has on members. It's the top school-based youth leadership organization and cultivates and nurtures future leaders who will change how the world grows. Share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. We saw a mixed trade in the cattle complex on Thursday with live cattle finishing mix, feeder cattle mostly higher. February live cattle up 42 cents at 117 even, the April down 55, 121.67, June live cattle down 60 at 119.50. Feeder cattle mostly higher with March up a nickel, 140.42, the April up 32 cents, 145.07, May feeder cattle up 42 at 147.22. Cash fed cattle market still fairly quiet. Now we have seen some sales this week at 114. That's some light sales, however. 114 and a quarter sold cattle on the Wednesday online fed cattle exchange. We had another fed cattle exchange on Thursday morning. However, none of those cattle sold. With that nearby futures contract now sitting at 117, it looks like the feedlots have a little more ammunition to try to get another dollar or two out of this market so far. They're asking 115 and higher for the rest of the week. Boxed beef prices lower on Thursday. Choice down 8 cents at 240.67. Select down 55, 229.24. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with J.R. Gully. We talk with Wayne Geiswide of Gillespie Livestock in Fredericksburg. He had a sheep and goat sale this past Tuesday after being off for a week due to the winter storm. Though the numbers were light, the market was on point. We ended up with right up 2,000 here. The market was unbelievable. These lambs, you know, two, three weeks ago, we had a big fallout. And then we got somebody back last two weeks ago. And then today we got it all back. So a lot of lambs from three and a half to four dollars a pound. The good Dorper lambs, and even some of the wool lambs bring three and a half. Looks like the goat deal was considerably higher also. I don't ever remember reporting that we had, I had like 300 hit from one fella. And, um, without the cuts on it, they averaged $4.34 a pound. And with the cuts, they still average 426. They weighed 57 pounds. So, you know, it was just quite a bit higher there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nannies were higher. A lot of nannies went from 150 to $2. And some even packer nannies bring over $2. Mm-hmm. Billy's up to two and a half. Some out about three. Uh, looked like the bucks, older bucks and ewes, a uh, dollar and a 
half to two dollars. Um, we like the, uh, you know, it was just unbelievable, really, and uh, had the good quality and uh, a lot of new crop kids, uh, a lot of those cabrito kids, right from five to seven dollars pound. It was something to see if you wanted to see a really high keeping goat sale, but it was unbelievable. That is Wayne Geiswhite of Gillespie Livestock in Fredericksburg. That's our time for today. This has been Walking the Pens, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm J.R. Gully for Larry Marble. Next, J.R. back over to the futures market now. Lean hogs finished mixed on Thursday. April hogs up 32 cents at 89.75. The May down 40, 91.15. Class 3 milk was higher. February milk up 6 cents, 15.65. March milk up 51 at 16.54 a hundredweight. Well, the cotton market saw a massive one-day loss. I don't remember seeing a loss this big in quite a while. End of the month profit taking set into the market. It's actually not surprising when you take into account that we've seen the market jump over 12 cents here in the month of February. You're going to see some profit taking come in at some point, and it came in in a big way on Thursday. The May contract dropped 400 points to close at 89.69, July down 396 points, 90.37, new crop December cotton down 288 points, 84.78. The wheat market closing lower, a lot of spillover pressure coming from a lower corn and soybean market. Also, USDA released its weekly export sales report. It didn't look all that good for wheat, so that gave traders an excuse to push the market a bit lower. July Kansas City wheat down 10 cents, 6.56 and a quarter. July Chicago wheat down 7, 6.63 and a half. The corn market lower, as we mentioned. March corn down 4 and a half, 5.54 and three quarters. September corn down 3 and a half, 4.93. The December down 2 and three quarters, 4.74 a bushel. In the energy markets, April natural gas down three cents, two seventy-six. April crude oil up twenty-three, sixty-three forty-five a barrel. The financial markets lower. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down five hundred fifty-nine points, thirty-one thousand four hundred two. The Nasdaq down four seventy-eight, thirteen thousand one nineteen. The S&P five hundred down ninety-six at three thousand eight twenty-nine. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, we'll be right back here next time to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website, at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.